Good morning. Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. Welcome to Mark chapter 10. Normally, our pastoral intern Mike Tolercio would be doing Mark chapter 10, but you know, he took a chapter of 1 Samuel from me to help me out when I wasn't feeling well a few days ago. So I'm taking a chapter from Mark from him. And uh, so we're going to dig into this together. It's a great chapter, lots of things to think about, and uh, let's pray and ask the Lord's help that we might see Jesus clearly and love him and follow him for the time we spend in his word. This morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is truth, and your word points us to the Son of God, who is the word of God incarnate, and who is the eternal truth made flesh, and who is our salvation, our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name that you would show us our sin, show us Christ, show us, Father, what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 10. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test them, test him asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him, that he might teach them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great 
possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard of it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. 
And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. It's Mark chapter 10 in the ESV. Here we see Jesus really challenging what the world values and devalues and teaching that life in the kingdom of God, life following Jesus and living according to his values and priorities looks very different from what the world values and prioritizes. The, the first thing that's up here is marriage. Jesus lived in a quick and easy divorce culture that had little value for the lifelong commitment of marriage. Marriage was considered something that you would do for social advancement or for personal gain for one reason or another. And, and it was very easy if a man became displeased with his wife to just write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus makes it clear that this is not God's intention. This is not pleasing to God because of the hardness of heart that Moses wrote the commandment, knowing that some men, if you tell them that they absolutely cannot divorce their wives and they are going to be with them for the rest of their lives, no way out, that they will become harsh and abusive and, and perhaps even be tempted to kill their wives because some guys, some human beings just have dark hearts. And so it's better to allow for a certificate of divorce than to allow for this what would be an ugly, abusive situation. But that's not God's will. And in the kingdom of God, much of what God does is restore through Jesus the way things were originally supposed to be before the fall. Like there's a way that God originally planned and designed and a way that God desires for his creation to work. And then there's the reality we live in in the, in the muck of the fall. And much of what the kingdom of God is about is about redemption and restoration, being redeemed from our sin and our brokenness, our alienation from God and one another, and being restored to the original creation purpose God had for us. So to be God's image bearers and to reflect Christ, we are redeemed after the image of God, Jesus, and we are being conformed into his likeness. That's the image of God being restored, redeemed and restored in us. And marriage is key to that. It's very central to that. And so Christian marriages, marriages within the kingdom of God, should be a lifelong commitment. They should reflect God's original good creational purpose for marriage. That is for two to become one flesh. For there not to be any separation. Divorce is not part of God's will 
for marriage and for his people. There should be an absolute commitment, a joining together of lives so that you no longer think about or talk about or even imagine that there could be two separate lives anymore because it's one life. It's one life. And so that's what Jesus tells us should be the picture of redemption among Christians should be a one flesh, one life, lifelong commitment. And when that's torn apart and you go join with someone else, it's, it's like adultery. It's, it's a violation of the purpose of marriage. Marriage is a precious, lifelong, one flesh gift. Another precious gift from God is children. Out of marriage, ideally, should come children. And children should be received as a blessing from God and treasured and brought to Jesus and brought into the kingdom of God because they belong in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' day and culture, divorce was quick and easy and children were kind of devalued. They don't have really have that much to contribute, do they? They're just, they're just sort of needy, right? They don't do anything. They just sort of take for a long time. And so in, in a self-serving, calculating culture, children are devalued. But Jesus said, no, you can't devalue children. You don't think they have anything to offer. You don't think they can do anything that's helpful. They are loved of God. Bring them to Jesus. To such belongs the kingdom of God. We come to God and God values us and God brings us into his kingdom, not because of what we can do for him or what we can offer him, but because he loves us and he treasures us and he wants us to come to him. And so what better picture of that than children, little children? And we're talking here about babies. He took them in his arm. He blessed them. He laid his hands on them. We're talking about babies. And Jesus says, Bring them into the kingdom. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Helpless, yes. Can't do anything, can't contribute to anything. True. But they can be loved by God and they can be brought into the kingdom of God and brought to Jesus. And then you have this rich young man. A rich young man who is morally upright, socially respected, and very well off is someone in Jesus' culture who would be highly valued and highly esteemed. And he comes to Jesus and he, he, has, he has eloquence. He has social graces. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus immediately stops him in his track and corrects him. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That statement right there should have corrected the rich young ruler, the rich young man, from thinking that he could qualify as good by keeping the commandments. No one is good except God alone. The rich young ruler was right to call Jesus good. Jesus is the good teacher, but because he's God in the flesh. So, the rich young man didn't quite get it from that statement, and so Jesus unpacks it. You know the commandments, and he lists the second table of the law. They're not exactly in order, but it's, 
It's the six commandments of the second table of the law, that which spells out how you love your neighbor as yourself. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud or, or, or covet or you know, try to get something from your neighbor, honor your father and mother. And he says, I've kept all these from my youth. Now, the Sermon on the Mount would expose all of that as just being false. But externally, I think the guy was sincere. Externally, he had never killed anybody. He had never actually committed adultery. He had never really stolen anything significant, right? He had never gone to court and borne false witness against his neighbor. He had never really cheated anybody out of anything, and he had always been polite and respectful to his parents, like a good Jewish boy. He's looking at things on the surface area. He's looking at things in terms of outward morality and social respectability. And he says, I got it. The Apostle Paul would later say, when it came to righteousness that came from the law, I was blameless. This is in Philippians 3, where Paul says that. When it comes to righteousness from the law, I was blameless. But Jesus looks at him. Jesus loves him. Jesus wants to say something that would get at the heart of his problem, and that is that he's not good, and that he's not really keeping the law. And so he says to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Why say that? Because what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. This man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. His great possessions were his idol, were his God. It was what he loved more than God. He wasn't willing to give it up to follow God. And so it was exposing this young man. Some people speculate that this might even be the Apostle Paul when he was still Saul of Tarsus, a rich young man from a well-to-do family who had had the best education. Maybe. Speculation. We don't know. But clearly, it's a man who thinks he's good because in the eyes of the world, he's got it all. He's wealthy. He's respectable. He's articulate. He's educated. He's good. And Jesus wants to pull the rug out from under him because if he doesn't learn to humble himself, he doesn't repent of his sin, if he doesn't see that the way the world values things is not accurate. He needs grace. He needs mercy. He needs redemption. And he doesn't see that, then he won't be able to come into the kingdom of God. And so he went away sorrowful. And who knows if later he came to know the Lord as the conviction of what Jesus said worked on his heart. That would be speculation, but we don't know. So then Jesus says something that stunned his disciples about how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You see, in Jesus' day, the wealthy were honored, and among Jewish society, even more so because they were blessed of God. And so if you had great wealth, particularly if you were a morally religious, upright man like this rich young man, you were considered to be one of the chosen ones. I mean, that's a sign that God's blessing is on you. And Jesus says, mm -mm, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples say, then who can be saved? And Jesus doesn't say, well, poor people, obviously, they get to come in because they're poor. He doesn't say that. 
Some, some Christians read this passage almost as if Jesus is saying, rich people have no shot of entering the kingdom of heaven because they're too rich, but poor people, they get to come right in. That's not what Jesus says. He actually says it's impossible with man. Salvation coming from us, arising up out of our hearts and our lives, is impossible. We cannot save ourselves. We saw that in David's life when he tried to save himself, work salvation for himself against Nabal, and Abigail corrected him. We cannot save ourselves. And so Peter, Peter and, and the disciples are being confronted here by this truth that they can't save themselves. Peter misses it, as he so often does. It's why I identify with him. He misses it. He says, we've left everything to follow you. Almost as if to say, Jesus, does that count as earning salvation? Does that count to get us into the kingdom? And Jesus is very gracious here. And he says, you've left things, but in this life you're receiving so much more because you're in the kingdom of God. Every other Christian is now your brother and sister and father and mother. The whole church, the whole kingdom of God is yours. It's given to you. You're part of the largest family in the world. You're part of the largest kingdom in the world, the longest standing kingdom in the world. You're part of, of, of the most influential group of people in the world with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And that verse 31 is really kind of an indication of what this whole chapter is about. And that is really of confronting us and saying, beware of trying to measure by what the world values and beware of trying to be first in line and the best and the greatest. But of course the disciples don't get it. So Jesus predicts his, his death a third time. They, they, don't, they don't understand. Instead, James and John carry on with this discussion about who's going to be the greatest. And can we sit on your right hand and your left hand in your glory? Jesus is telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. I'll be mocked upon, I'll be spit, I'll be flogged, I'll be killed. James and John respond with, can we sit on your right hand and your left hand? Even when he says, can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the They don't get it. They just don't get it. They think, well, yeah, we can do it, Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, you will. <laughs> oh, you will. But what Jesus is talking about is suffering for following God in this world and being rejected and despised and spit upon and mocked and ridiculed and rejected. That's what Jesus is talking about, the cup that he drinks and the baptism he's baptized with. It is to be rejected and despised by the world because we belong to Jesus. And that is what every Christian is called to embrace. We're called to be like Jesus, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We actually had a great sermon on this passage this past Sunday from Kurt Sharping, who came to preach for me because I wasn't feeling well. So, you missed it? Go back and get that sermon from this past Sunday. It's really, really good. So the last thing in this chapter, I know it's a lot of content here, but the last thing we see is blind Bartimaeus. He's one who would be so overlooked and despised by the world. He's blind and he's a beggar. He's like the polar opposite of the rich young man. 
And he's the one that the Lord Jesus has mercy on and opens his eyes and commends him and tells him your faith has made you well. So what matters in the kingdom of God? What matters in the kingdom of God is trusting God and not ourselves, looking to Jesus for salvation and not to ourselves, honoring marriage, welcoming little children, being willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus. What doesn't matter in the kingdom of God? Self-righteous morality, worldly wealth and status and power and position, being first, being greatest. All those things will actually hinder you in your spiritual growth. So Jesus calls us to come to him and to follow him. And that just as he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we, if we want to be in his kingdom and following him, should come not to be served, but to serve. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, help us to follow you, to follow after you in the way of the cross, to deny ourselves, serve others, love and trust you, turn our back on the false enticements of the world and run joyfully into your kingdom for your glory forever we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's Mark chapter 10. Tomorrow we'll be back in 1 Samuel. Have a blessed day in the Lord.